This is I Choose Life, news and views sponsored by Indiana Right to Life and Right to Life of Northeast Indiana, committed to defending innocent human life for all people of all ages. I Choose Life, news and views is produced by Bot Radio Network in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Welcome to I Choose Life News and Views. As always, I'm glad to have you tuning into the program and glad to be here myself. I enjoy doing these interviews and hopefully you enjoy listening to them. As always, if there's ever something that you want to hear about that we just seem to not be covering, shoot us an email at rlni at ichooselife.org and we'll take a look at that topic and see if we can cover it for you. We have with us today, Christy Stutzman, not an unfamiliar name for the program and a good friend of Right to Life of Northeast Indiana, joining us by phone today as she's traveling around doing her own business. But thanks for coming on, Christy. We appreciate having you. Thanks so much for having me, Abby. I'm excited. So we are talking today about Women's History Month. We're at the very start of March, Women's History Month, and wanted to highlight a couple of women throughout history, of course, but then also talk about some other things that are going on with that um, that Christy has worked on. But let's start, Christy, with a little bit of an update for you. You're no longer in the state house, which is a change for Indiana, a sad change, unfortunately, I think. Um, but what do you have going on these days then to fill all of your free time? Yeah, well, I mean, I'm still a mom. I've got two sons. One's a freshman in college and the other one is a freshman in high school. And so um, between sports, college schedules and things like that, I stay busy with them. And then, um, of course, we have uh, multiple businesses and I have taken on a new role at being the executive director for the Round Barn Theater in Napanee, Indiana. Mm-hmm. And that takes up most of my time right now. Um, it's been a pretty tough year in 2020 and for a lot of businesses, but when you talk about restaurant, entertainment, tourism, those have been hit the hardest. And so I've kind of taken on more than I expected with that, but mm-hmm. I'm really enjoying it. So uh, full-time working with the theater, with the content, with composing, I'm actually writing a new musical based on Jeanette Oak's uh, beloved book series, One Calls the Heart. And um, oh. there's a TV uh, show about it as well. But we're doing the world premiere of One Calls the Heart, the musical, this uh, Mother's Day weekend. Oh, cool. I'm busy working on that. Very nice. And then you also are a daughter of the American Revolution. Is that... I'm going to have you talk a little bit about that. But I know that you have a love for history and a love for women's history. Does being a daughter of the American Revolution play into that? Or is that just a nice you know, also this is going on kind of a thing. (laughs) Well, you know, growing up, I was in a family that really emphasized um, knowing history, learning history from original documents, um, knowing what the words were that the actual founders said and um, how they constructed their lives and what their beliefs were and their uh, convictions and things like that. And so I was always interested in it and very passionate about knowing America's history, especially our Christian roots, our Christian history. And from that grew a love for just kind of doing deep dives into my ancestry. I had a friend who kind of took me under her wing and said, hey, you know what? You could possibly be a member of this group uh, because you, it looks like you have ancestors that served in the revolution. And so um, that kind of sparked an interest in me to know, well, where do I come from? I had never really um, been told. I think there was a whole generation that really didn't talk about it a whole lot. Maybe it was because of the depression and and how families were separated or um, just went through some really hard times. They almost forgot where they came from. And so there's a lot of, you know, traditions and things that were not passed down. So I started really doing a deep dive into mine and found out that not only did I have one or two 
I had in the teens, I had um, a lot of people who had been very patriotic and had served this country in every war, actually. Um, And, you know, it was one of those things where you find out, oh, wow, I had relatives that served on both sides in the Civil War. Actually, when you talk about brother fighting brother, I had cousins fighting cousins. um, Weird. That were, you know, it it was just kind of a very, very sad time in our our country. Sure. But, you know, I went through the whole uh, process of of proving my lineage. And so when I joined, I found out that this group is very active in our communities in promoting patriotism, promoting understanding our history, Mm -hmm. helping with, um, you know, when immigrants are sworn in to be citizens, giving them copies of the Constitution, American flags. Um, different things that they'll need as American citizens. And so it's a really special group um, education-wise. They do conservation, just in, in, involved in a lot of things in our communities that we don't re- realize. And so I was really excited to be a part of that. But I also um, contributed by being the conductor for their All-American Chorus oh. that meets every year for their um, national meeting in Washington, D.C. So I, I got to direct that for three years, and that was a real privilege to um, be in charge of that. But yeah, I've been involved with that. But then I've also been involved, you know, politically as well in trying to make sure that we pass on our history and the truth about it um, to the next generation. And I know you had a resolution that went through in the state house about making, in particular, this was a women's suffrage, um, right. more visible to the American people. Do you want to yeah. tell us a little bit about what that looked like and where it is now? Yeah, sure. Like back in 2015, it was the 95th anniversary of women's right to vote. So I, as I do, I kind of did some research on, you know, well, who were those women? I knew about, you know, some of them. Um, Susan B. Anthony is the most famous, but mm-hmm. I didn't know, you know, all of the names behind the scenes. And, and I know there were millions of women involved in that movement. And when, once I realized that the basic gist was, At first, they started saying, well, we can make a difference outside of the process. So I started realizing that these ladies were advocating, basically, for different issues. It wasn't really for the vote. It was more for issues that affected their lives. So they started doing petition signing and and these drives. And it started in New York State with Susan B. Anthony, who had originally started as an abolitionist. Mm -hmm. She had been working with Frederick Douglass with his newspaper on abolition issues. But they were also um, part of the anti-alcohol <laughs> movement, the whole movement there, because there was a lot of oppression of women going on and the abuse of alcohol and things like that. Mm-hmm. So it kind of yeah, got them started on these policies. Yeah, exactly. So when they found out that in spite of their petitions, in spite of changing some of the laws because of it, that the laws, again, like the next year, were, could be reversed by the same men who had passed them, they realized that, wow, it's not just going to take petitions and us working from the outside. We actually need the vote in order to be there at the table to discuss these policies and why they're good. And so then they started advocating for having the right to vote. And so I thought, well, you know, for the 95th anniversary, I'd love to write an article on some of these unsung heroes um, behind the scenes that allowed us to have this freedom. And so we, I started studying Elizabeth Cady Stanton and Lucretia Motts and a lot of these ladies who were, you know, key players who are depicted in the U.S. Capitol in this big monument. And I love it because it's a monument that is on purpose made to be unfinished because they said, the artist said that women's work is never done, which is, you know, a famous saying and it's true. Um, and so our history is, is still not done. We're still, you know, creating our part in the American story. Um, and our work is never done. Then also she chose multiple women, not just one, to commemorate. 
And then also what I loved about it was it was a statue of women by an artist who is a woman, and it was for all women. And so my suggestion was that we put it somewhere on our currency, not just recognize one, but recognize everybody that it took to allow for uh, women to have the right to vote. So when I was in the legislature, um, I passed a concurrent resolution in the House and Senate saying that we recommend to our members of Congress that they start the conversation about putting that monument somewhere on our currency or a likeness of that monument somewhere on our currency. Um, So it still has yet to happen, but I would love for it to happen sometime in our lifetime um, just to recognize the role that women have played in the American story. Yeah. I don't know what even would go into having the currency changed. Like it's just, you sort of, you know, you grow up looking at the dollars and learning how to count quarters and that kind of thing. You just figure this is the face that's always going to be on it. (laughs) Well, there's always discussions on, you know, who's next and and new coinage, special coinage. I know Sacagawea was on our, uh, on a coin for a while. Susan B. Anthony dollar for a while. Um, But then they kind of, you know, went out, out of production. And uh, there was some discussion about taking Andrew Jackson off and replacing him with someone else. And I just thought, good grief, it's time you know, that we had almost a, hopefully a permanent, I don't know that it would be completely permanent, but some form of currency that is used widely that would recognize women's role. But it was really an amazing story um, how these women operated. They did lobbying campaigns to Congress. I went and, and toured the house where they would stay in Washington as they would lobby Congress for this. And of course, Susan yeah. B. Anthony was very well known all over Capitol Hill, but all over the world. And she was known for this red shawl. I thought this was a cute little story. She was known to wear this red shawl, and she was quite fashionable in the day. And she would show up to these meetings where all the media would be there taking notes on what she had to say and and taking notes on the meeting itself. And a lot of times, Frederick Douglass would attend her meetings. In fact, um, he attended one of her meetings the week before he died. Um, And they were very supportive of each other throughout their whole lives because she had grown up in the same town where he had decided to set up his uh, newspaper business, the North Star. And so her dad, who was a Quaker, and after the Quaker tradition, they allowed women to have just as much education as men and to have just as much a say in their community as men. And so there was this equality mentality that she had with not just men and women, but also people of all races and creeds. So Frederick Douglass would come over to her father's house and have these Sunday afternoon discussions about current events and how they can make a difference. And so when she would go to these meetings where the media would be present and taking notes on, you know, the progress and who she had lobbied that week and had she met with a president or vice president, which she had, she met with almost every president in her lifetime. And this is a woman who never received the right to vote, but yet had a huge influence on allowing us to have that right. She showed up one day without her red shawl. And the media teasingly said, well, why are we here? You don't have your red shawl on. We're not going to take notes. And she thought it was kind of petty, but at the same time appreciated it. She said, I'll be right back. She walked down the, the road to her hotel, got her red shawl, came back in, and she said, gentlemen, you may commence taking notes. Yeah. <laughs> but she traveled all over the world, met with heads of state everywhere, and not just her, but also Elizabeth Cady Stanton, Lucretia Mott. They all came up with, at the big meeting in New York, at the big convention, they came up with this statement of basic beliefs and rights that they should have, and it was a beautifully written piece of literature. I, I consider it a piece of literature. And all these ladies are working in tandem, but they would go to members of Congress and not just that, they would go to their spouses and they would know this member of Congress is interested in these 
hobbies and they had note cards on them and they had note cards on their spouses. Their spouses are interested in these causes and they take up these charities and they just created this lobbying effort where they were creating a network, they were reaching out, they were very winsome in the way they did it. But then when they had to be militant, they would do a demonstration. They would go out on the streets and they would stand there with their signs and took a lot of abuse during that time. But man, we have a lot to be thankful for nowadays. I was doing the numbers and I believe it was my great-grandmother. The first time she was allowed to vote, I think she was 38. Mm. So she would have been close to 40 by the time she actually had the right to vote. And that's not too far removed from me. So it's just hard to imagine that it's only been a little over 100 years now that women have been part of this, voting and also running for office and holding elected office. So it was such an honor to stand on the House floor and offer a resolution recognizing their work, because without them, I wouldn't have been there. And my grandmother, who never, never missed an election and who works the polls every single time, would not have had that opportunity either. So it was a one of those moments where you just kind of pinch yourself and go, wow, this is kind of special. Oh, it is for sure. That. Now, forgive my ignorance. Did the right to vote and the right to hold office come simultaneously or was that a two-step? You know, I can't remember right off the top of my head. I believe it was, if you could vote, then you could be elected or mm. something like that. Um, it would make to sense to have them together. Yeah, I think they're very closely tied together. And the other thing I really loved about researching these ladies was that I found documented evidence from their own writing and their own words that they were hugely pro-life. They were completely against abortion. And I don't think there's a whole lot of women who consider themselves on the cutting edge of knowing, you know, about women's rights and everything that realize how strongly these women made made statements saying that they were pro-life. And it just made me love them all the more, you know, because they were coming down on the right side of the issues. They were anti-slavery, they were for equality, and they were for life. So that just lit my fire and it was like, oh my goodness, we got to really honor these ladies even more because they understood the value of life. Yeah, they got it right across the board. If you're joining us partway through the program, we have Christy Stutzman on with us today talking about women's history as March is Women's History Month. So an appropriate time to have that discussion, though anybody can talk about women's history any time of the year and that would be great. That's (laughs) right. So Christy, how about a couple of particular women in history who you have really taken a shine to um, that you want to highlight to us? Or maybe somebody who, because, you know, some of the names are more familiar to us, Susan B. Anthony, though I think a lot of people don't know her full history. And you mentioned Elizabeth Cady Stanton, but there's some others who I think sort of hide in the bushes of history um, and had really important parts to play. They just don't get the limelight so much. So um, share with us who sure. who we should highlight this month. Well, um, one lady that I really have enjoyed um, doing a little bit of research on over the years was Sacagawea, quite the woman. And the other one, the one that comes to mind is not really a particular woman, but it is the pioneer woman. So all the mm-hmm. women who pioneered the West and braved the unknown and carved a living out of a wilderness Um, amazing, amazing stories of how they did it. And we have a great history with the traditions that were passed down by pioneer women here in Indiana. And to me, I know this sounds kind of funny, but when you look at our unofficial state pie, which is the old-fashioned sugar cream pie, it is put together with ingredients that any pioneer woman would have on hand at any time. They're very, very simple, but they were so innovative and creative in the way They took simple ingredients and made something incredibly good. And I think it just is representative of 
making something almost out of nothing and making it amazing. Um, That's what I believe one of the traditions and one of the, um, I guess, well, the tradition comes to mind, but I'm trying to think of another word that describes it, but just the hardiness and the stick-to-itiveness and creativity um, of some of our ancestors who settled Indiana. But Sacagawea comes to mind because she was a young mother. Um, I found out through my research that she had a young child that she had with her when she was on the expedition with Lewis and Clark. Besides being um, pregnant? Yes. Because I think yes. we all know I mean, about the pregnancy and then, you know, giving birth while on the trail and being like, all right, here we go. Yep, exactly. And then she continued on. I mean, and then it's just like this unbelievable resilience and, and strength that she had. Um, and then along the trail as well, you know, she runs into her brother who she hadn't seen for years and they recognize each other around the fire one night, you know, and she starts talking to him and he opens up even more doors for Lewis and Clark and, um, just the whole expedition and, and how she handled herself and how she, um, led them with such knowledge of the land, appreciation for what they were trying to do in mapping out how the country was laid out and where the trails were and, and her respect for Native Americans and her people, as well as Lewis and Clark and what they were trying to do and just how that all wove together was just, I don't know, it was it was a miraculous thing, but it wouldn't have happened without her. She was the key player um, in that whole thing. And I don't think we give her enough credit for what she's done over the years. Um, but she, you know, she's been highlighted here and there, but she's just like this giant of a woman to me. She's just this towering example of strength and nobility. Um, that I love to just kind of remind myself of. Another one that comes to mind, well, there's a couple, Condoleezza Rice. I Mm -hmm. I think she has led with strength, with wisdom, um, really a depth of wisdom as far as interpersonal relationships and how she deals diplomatically with heads of state all over the the world and how she's handled herself, uh, whether it's race relations and how she has commented on that Mm -hmm. and her own experiences and then the state of things today, she just has a lot of wisdom and she is so intelligent. I just am always admiring her statements um, and how she words things. Um, another one that comes to mind is Peggy Noonan. She's, um, she used to be Ronald Reagan's speechwriter. Oh. And she wrote the, well, she was one of the writers, but one of the main writers on the speech that he wrote after the um, shuttle disaster. Oh. Um, when he was so eloquent at the end, some of those words were Peggy Noonan's words. And she's just a master craftsman when it comes to articulating things that Americans are experiencing and ideas and uh, concepts that are quintessentially American. She just has a really gift, you know, a gift for words. But I, I got to meet her one time and sit down with her and just kind of pick her brain on like how she got there and things like that. And she was just very kind, very down-to-earth, um, very easy to talk to, loved to have conversation, and she was very eager to implement what she had learned and to share it you know, with someone, you know, like me who was younger, who was very interested in writing, um, how to dig deep, research things, who to read. You know, she gave me suggestions on, on books to read and writers, authors to follow, um, and then how to articulate those in a very concise way. And so that was a real thrill uh, to meet her and to kind of find out how this woman got into this man's world of, you know, speech writing and I guess our media. She, she's writing now for several different outlets and she's a contributor, I believe, on cable news, things like that. So 
she, I've always admired her uh, because of her ability and also some of the concepts that she got her words into Reagan's mouth, and he, of course, presented them flawlessly, <laughs> and just nobody could speak like he could and, and present things like he did. So, yeah, I mean, I, that's some that come to mind right now. Yeah, wonderful. I love that you have highlighted for us a couple of present day people as well. Cause I think sometimes we think history and that's like, Oh, that's stuff that's in the history books. Right. Well, that's not <laughs> each new day, right. Then the old day gets archived. So, right. yeah. So yeah. those people who are, who are currently making a difference and doing things in their respective realms and two, especially, you know, you mentioned Peggy. So she's not, necessarily in the front and center, right? She's not the president. Right. And yet she's able to contribute to society and to American history by doing these eloquent writings and having the finesse that then makes it appropriate for a president to say. And so it's not always that you have to be in the limelight. Like Sacagawea, I don't think she thought she was in the limelight. I think maybe everybody else thought she maybe was. But like (laughs) this idea that like, if I can't do a big thing, then there's no point in doing this small thing. And that's so not the case. No, not at all. In fact, you know, when you think about even our state house in Indiana, there's so many women making a difference in various different ways. I mean, you think from the legislative assistants who are doing email work, constituent work for legislators, there's a lot of females there. Then there's also female legislators. Then you have female lobbyists, female advocates. And so there's a lot of women in, in different roles, staffers, things like that, that are making a huge difference. And when you're in that world, let's say you're in the writing world, Peggy had to know about policy. She had to do deep dives into some pretty boring stuff in order to be able to break it down and put it into words that would be quick, efficient, concise but that would encapsulate a policy that was, you know, when you look underneath, under the surface, is huge, broad and wide, but you have to be able to narrow it down into words very quickly and concisely and say, to sum it up, here's the thought and here's the policy and here's why. And that is hugely effective when you put those words into a speech or into a press release or into a column or an article, whether it's going to an elected official or whether it's being published, to be able to summarize things, big thoughts, into a concise way is very, very effective. And it's also influential in the way people think and how policy is enacted or how it's presented. Yeah, words are hugely influential. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I'm sure, too, I mean, again, thinking about, okay, anybody listening in the audience, but, you know, women in particular, as we're sort of targeting that in this interview, well, I can't write eloquently, so I'm not going to be a Peggy. Right. Okay. Well, that was her wheelhouse. Exactly. <laughs> she took her passion and she found where it was needed. And mm-hmm. so that's each of us. So you, what is your passion and where can it be plugged into that there's a need there to fill and you yes. can expand on your gifts and have them fill that void for not only the American people, but maybe for the world, right? And again, little things matter. So inside your church, inside your school, inside small organizations, you know, like Right to Life, those things all make a difference. It's not necessarily these huge, okay, you don't have to give birth on a trail in a woods in order to (laughs) make history. 
as just not required, which is kind of nice because I don't know that I want to give birth on a trail. (laughs) Yeah. And I've told women for years, a lot of times they'll come up to me after a meeting or something and they'll say, how can I get involved? What can I do? It's actually easier today than it ever has been to be involved, probably because of, you know, internet, the social media, email, things like that, texting. But one thing that I've seen over the years is that women are great at organizing, not just organizing, but figuring out a practical plan to make something work. And so, for instance, talking about the women's suffrage movement, there were women there that will never know their names, but they were the ones taking notes when Katie Stanton or Susan B. Anthony would come back from the Capitol and they would have met with a congressman. Or there were women there taking notes on, okay, how did your meeting go? What did you learn? All right, what issues are important to them? And they were making those cards Mm -hmm. and putting them together and helping the process. But I've told women over the years, there's little things you can do. Uh, If you want to get involved in politics, you can find someone local who is running a campaign and say, hey, I believe in this person. I want to help them. And there's small things that can be done that made a huge difference. For instance, there are parades and you have to give out something, a handmade something or whatever. Or when you go to a political dinner, a lot of times candidates have to bring a door prize. Mm. Well, if you're crafty, you can put together a really neat craft and give it to them so it saves them campaign money and just say, hey, give this as a door prize. You know, there's different things that you can do. You can post on social media or you can spread information about a public meeting that you're going to attend. Say, hey, guys, I'm going to go to the commissioner's meeting because I have an issue with this. You want to come with me? Showing up at commissioner's meeting can make the difference in policy. If they see numbers, believe me, commissioner's meetings aren't usually attended very well. Uh, School board meetings, some of those mundane things, sewer board meetings. But if there's an issue that they're starting to address that concerns you, when you show up and they see people that are concerned about it, it really gets their attention and they want to know what your thoughts are. And so right there, you're influencing policy on a daily basis on a local level that probably wouldn't happen if you weren't showing up. It's those little things. I, I know women have had reception for different candidates in their homes, and they're great at making these gorgeous gourmet desserts and doing a beautiful presentation. That's something that can save that candidate money and actually can help them raise money just by you offering to give of your time and money and effort to put on a spread, invite friends, and have them over and have a reception. It's something that we do on a normal basis. We just don't connect it to this affects policy, but it does. For sure. You remind me of something that Kathy Humberger always says, which is get up, dress up, show up. Show up. If if you do those things, you're going to be headed in the right direction because if you're on your couch at home, we're going to have trouble finding you. (laughs) But if you get up and dress up and show up, then there's an opportunity for you to fill a void there. So thanks so much, Christy, for joining us. Um, We appreciate taking your time out of your busy schedule and hope all the best for the Barnes of Napanee, that that all goes well and that you're writing. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad to do it. It's exciting. You know, theater and that medium, whether it's entertainment or whatever, is also hugely influential in our culture. So I, I'm very passionate about making sure that we have wholesome, uplifting, and a little bit educational, but it's got to be entertaining type of things at our theater because I always want to have people walk away encouraged, uplifted, not have to worry about, you know, the content, but actually maybe learn something as they're there while they're having a good time. But it's been fun talking to you. I appreciate it. And look up my article on the Women's Suffrage Monument on WashingtonTimes.com and see what you think about some of that history. It's fun to reminisce. 2015 and Washington Times online. Got it. Thanks so much, Christy. We appreciate it. Thank you.
You've been listening to I Choose Life News and Views. If you have questions about this program or if you'd like to support the fight for life, please call 260-471-1849 or go to ichooselife.org because without the right to life, no other rights matter.